Thank you. I really want you to take use of that, that time of worship. The Spirit of God was here. I'm crying already. What's going on? The Spirit of God was here and he was doing something. And yeah, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Roz. My, my word's not even a cry. Word's that. I don't know what's wrong with me. Well, I do. It's God, but it's fine. I want to welcome you this morning uh, to Lighthouse Church. If you're visiting with us there, it's your first time. I hope you feel very much welcome. And if you're online with us, again, I hope you feel very much a part of us this morning as we, as we come together. I am... Um, I've got a question for you. I like questions. I've got a question for you again today, and there's no snacks. I'm sorry, there's no, there's no freebies this week. But my question is to you is, who are you? Who are you? And I wonder if we went round and we asked if what responses would be. Maybe you'd respond with your job title, your identity and your job title. Maybe it'd be your relation status. Maybe that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe you'd label yourself as someone else or who you are to someone else. Me and Rosie always joke that people either know Rosie or me, so we kind of introduce ourselves as I'm Tom, Rosie's husband, and she'd often say, I'm Rosie, Tom's wife. That's the right way around. Would you define yourself by a characteristic? Maybe there's something that you feel is who you are and that's who you introduce yourself as. Hi, my name's Tom. I'm, I'm shy. I don't, I don't like groups of people. Or maybe by a fault that you think is a negative thing. Hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Tom. I, I, I suffer with depression. Maybe you'd uh, express yourself as, as maybe an addiction or an ex-addiction. You'd say, hi, I'm, I'm Tom. I'm an ex-alcoholic. Or maybe how other people see you. Hi, I'm Tom. I, I'm not like my many people. I haven't got many friends. But today I want us to, to read a parable and I want us to focus on who are you in the eyes of God. And I think that's when we were worshipped. I was like, Do you know, what? as Rod said, there are promises that God's got for you. And the things that you tell yourself, who and what you are, are not of God. The negativity that you speak into yourself are not of God. Let's pray before we go any further. Father God, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord. I want to thank you for that time of worship. I want to thank you for this opportunity to come together, whether in person or online. I want to thank you that your presence is here with us. Your spirit dwells within us and among us. And Lord, as this word has been on my heart and as I bring it this morning, Lord, I pray that it would echo through the hearts of us listening, that there will be something of you that we had to grasp and take for ourselves. Thank you, Father. Amen. So I'm going to read uh, about a parable in the book of Luke, Luke 15. And in Luke 15, there's three parables that Jesus talks about of things being lost, which I think is, in my case, quite ironic because I'm always losing things. This morning, I was running around the house trying to find my keys. I blamed Rosie. I blamed Evie. fact was, they'd fallen out of my pocket on the sofa, and they were in the cushion. But things that are lost, and I think this is true that Jesus came for those who are lost. And he just wanted to re-emphasize it 
three times in the book of uh, and Luke 15, or two, uh, Luke wrote it down three times in the same, in the same passage. And we're going to look at the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. And for those of you who um, aren't quite familiar with the story, the parable is about a father who has two children. He has two children, and the youngest one decides that actually he's at a point in his life where he wants his half of what his father has. And so his father gives him his share, and he goes away, and he has what he would say is a great life. I think if it was nowadays, he'd buy himself a fast car, he'd have a nice motorbike, he'd probably you know, have nice holidays everywhere, he spent it on you know, women, on alcohol, on drugs, whatever fulfilled his need for pleasure. And we're going to pick up in verse 20, and it's at the point where he's hit rock bottom. He ends up working for a pig farmer, and he's feeding the pigs, and actually he gets to a point where he's eating the pig food. And if anyone has had pigs or seen pigs, pigs eat anything. Humans are not meant to eat anything. So he is hit literally rock bottom, where he is eating out the trough with these pigs, and he's thinking, oh, I need to go back. I need to go back to my father. This, this sin, this guilt, this sorrow, this whatever had hit rock bottom needs to be back home with his father. And he decides, actually, I'm going to go back and I'm just going to go in as a servant. So we're going to pick up on that part. Okay, so verse, from verse 20. So the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. The father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes, um, best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For my beloved son was once dead and is now alive. He was once lost, now he is found. And everyone celebrated and over, with overflowing joy. I wonder what would happen if we asked the prodigal son, Prior to his arrival, who are you? What would he have thought? Come on. What would he have thought? Louder. He was lost. Worthless. He's a failure. Useless. Sinner. A waste of space. And the truth is, in the, in the eyes of the world, we are, you know, we live in this world that people would speak those things into him. He had that concept because people obviously thought less of him, maybe said those things to him. But the, the, the Scripture talks about a father, and I believe Jesus was absolutely talking about our Lord when he just embraces him with compassion. He says, son, you are home. He went from what he thought he was to what his father knew him as. He went from thinking, I'm worthless, I'm useless, I'm a sinner, I'm rubbish, to his father saying, no, 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 you're my son. We read in the New Testament numerous, numerous interactions of people with Jesus. Not parables, actual you know, stories, accounts, 
on one of the websites I was doing some research on, it says there's 46 accounts of people interacting with Jesus. And those 46 people went who they were and left who they are. They didn't introduce themselves, I don't believe, afterwards as, hi, I'm who I was. They went out rejoicing and praising and sharing the good news, saying, look who I am. Look who I am. Look who God has made me. Moments that account of the divine ability Jesus had to see the heart of people and change their lives. We, um, we have a WhatsApp group for our, for our small group. And a couple of weeks ago, Sam Coughlin sent a, a song on there of, uh, I think it was an American band, correct me if I'm wrong. American band, yeah, it was. Um, and it kind of got the, the chat going about songs that maybe we have enjoyed in the past or um, the American music is massive, Christian music. So we were just sharing all these sort of things. And I found myself listening to a song by Casting Crowns, who are an American Christian band. And it says, does anybody hear her is the lyric, is the song title. And I was really struck with one of the lyrics. And the song is, is talking about a, a young girl who walks past the church who doesn't feel worthy to enter in to the church, doesn't feel worthy of entering into the presence of God, of other Christians. And it says, with all the lost and lonely people searching for the hope that's tucked away in you and me. We are surrounded by people. You may be sitting next to them. You may be working with them. You may live with them. You may be that person who is searching for the hope. Searching for the hope of God, searching for that purpose that when people ask you, who are you? They go, oh, I'm this, I need this. And you and I have the Spirit of God in us that says, who are you? I'm a son of the Almighty God. I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm filled with his mercy, with his grace. Yes, amen, so are you. Jesus' time... um, uh, sorry. Yes, Jesus' time on earth was, was filled with these interactions, like I said. And God himself dwells in each one of us. And as Julia said last week, said we are to reach those who are yet to hear. Hear the good news. Hear the gospel. Because in reality, we are depriving people of, an, of, an, um, of a relationship with the Holy Spirit, of an interaction with God when we do not share what and who we are, and what we know to be true. When we think of Jesus' time on earth, I'm not going to go through the whole 46 accounts, but there are certain people that just came to my mind that I thought, you know what, that was a a divine moment with Jesus that took them from where they were to where they are. The blind man who meets with Jesus and Jesus makes, opens his eyes, makes him see. I don't believe he went around and introduced himself, hi, my name's Tom, I'm the blind man. It's like, guess what? I can see. This is who I am. I can see. The woman caught in adultery went away rejoicing and sharing the good news and the grace that Jesus showed on her. Lazarus. I mean, this is pretty extreme. I mean, you've got a dead man. (laughs) For once, he's not going to walk around telling people who he was. But they knew he was dead. And then he walks out of the tomb and people rejoice in the ability of who God was. The paralyzed man lowered in through a roof. Lowered in. He was that desperate. His friends, if anyone is a homeowner, 
I wouldn't be too impressed if someone cut a hole in my roof and uh, dropped him in. But they were that desperate. His friends couldn't see any other way, but we need to get this man in front of Jesus. And what does he do? He went as he was, paralyzed on a bed, and he leaves, rolling his mat up, walking out the door. We need to enable and be the people who are expressing these, uh, these um, interactions with Jesus. Zacchaeus, a man hated in community, a tax collector. Same then, probably the same now. People didn't want to spend time with him, yet he knew in his heart he wanted to find out what all this Jesus thing was about. So he climbs a tree and God calls him down and says, I'm going to have dinner with you. Jesus calls him down, I've got dinner with you. And he goes from serving a selfish desire to serving the purpose for Christ, the purpose that Christ had on his life. And maybe some of you can put yourselves in those situations, or maybe you can think of other stories in Scripture and think, yeah, you know, I'm pretty like that person. Saul, maybe. Thinking, yeah, I don't think you quite understand. I hate Christians. I don't get, don't get what they're on about. don't actually like spending time with them because they're happy, or they cry, you know, weirdos. But the truth is, Saul met God, became Paul, and went on to write the majority of the New Testament, through his experience with Christ. His experience with Christ. And you might think, God's not going to use me because I'm this, because I'm that. God's not going to trust me to look after people because, you know, I've been broke, I've been bankrupt, I can't look after myself. God can't teach me to love someone because I'm divorced. I've never, I've never been in a relationship. I'm not married. If you start underestimating the ability of God, you've got an issue. Because God is able to do great, greater things than you can ever imagine. May our quest be centered on Christ and not on ourselves, or our flaws, our past, but on who we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, Joined to him by faith in him as saviour, he is a new creation. Reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit, the old things, the previous moral scripture condition, have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. Spiritual awakening brings new life. Paul wanted the church in Corinth to understand that actually what they were, what they were being taught, what they were being held over them as maybe religious ways wasn't what God wanted for them, wasn't what Jesus had come to save them from. We, uh, we re- sing a song called Make Room, and in the, the lyrics in that it says, uh, shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion. I was at an event this week, and there was a speaker there called Daniel Chan. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. He's an evangelist. And he said, he said something that I really wanted to take away. And I was like, you know what, this is true. And it's, it was true then and it's true now. And, you know, 2,000 years have passed and not much has changed. But religion is all about do, do, do. Who are you? Well, I'm religious, so I've got to do this, do this, do this. I can't do that because I'm, I'm this. Yet a relationship with Christ is about what's been done, done, done. 
Who are you? It's been done. It's been paid. I'm free. I live in a relationship with God. In Matthew, this is Jesus speaking. He says, come to me. Sorry, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. It says, come to me, all who are weary, heavily burdened by religious virtues. Funny, isn't it? That provide no peace. And I will give you rest, refreshing your souls with salvation. Salvation, something that couldn't be done by human ability, human sacrifice, human um, procedure, but was only done through something like Christ. God himself bought salvation for us, for us to enjoy, for us to receive freely. The, um, the parable of the prodigal son in the version I was reading to you is the, the passion, and it's called the loving father. The, the parable is called the loving father. And I was actually kind of blown away with how it's looked at by that, that vision rather than about the boy. Because the truth of the story is there was two sons and one wanted everything, took it and wasted it. And one stayed loyal. But how the father reacted to them both was he gave them everything he had. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not a prodigal son. I've been a very good boy or girl and I have always stuck here. But, you know, it's not really fair because these promises are those who have stepped away. Mm-mm. What God's got for you is for you. As Ros said, those promises are for you. Whether you've gone away and you've come back or whether you've always been with him, he says, everything I've got has always been yours. Has always been yours. And we need to be aware as a church, as a people, that we are being that father figure. That we are embodied with the spirit that enables us to be that father figure. I, um, I've got a little girl who was down at the front, I don't know if you saw her, Evie. And I work at the church, for those who don't know. So I was in the office the other week with Evie. She was doing some drawing. And someone came in. I heard the door go, and I went to get up, and Evie was gone. And I was like, oh, I hope Evie hasn't gone out, because obviously that would be a terrible father moment. And I walked out the door, and there was a gentleman came in who um, regularly comes to the, the centre and uses different facilities, um, but probably isn't someone who you would stereotypical think would be in a church. They have, they have a past, they have a present, but they also have a future. But I saw my little girl embrace this guy around his legs. Just give him a hug. I thought, initially I thought, get away. And then I thought, do you know what? She's exactly done what the church is about. She's exactly done what we need to be doing as Christians. Giles, can I borrow you for a minute? I haven't prepped you. So I hope you've been listening because I've got questions. No, not really. You're going to enact as the prodigal son and I'm going to be the father. And this is, this is my imagery of, of, of what I feel as a church we need to be totally, totally at peace with and enacting in our lives. Because once that prodigal son comes back and they are desperate and they are longing and they've got their arms wide open and they're coming in for a hug and I go and say, no, you want a hug? And I come in like this and I'm like, no, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. 
What I'm doing is I'm saying, no, no, that's not formal. That's, this is formal. This is religion. This is what it should be. I don't want to hug you. I just want to make sure that you feel welcome, maybe. And actually, if those of you who need a hug are met with a handshake, you're thinking, that isn't at all what I needed. What I needed was a hug. And when... Thanks, Giles. You can take a seat. And when we give that hug, maybe not physically, you don't have to go around hugging people. People might think you're even weirder than you are. But when you go around and give that embrace, give that hug that actually the church, we as believers need to be doing, I truly believe they actually feel and embrace the heart of God. Giles couldn't feel me this distance. He couldn't hear my heart from this distance. But you give someone a hug, there is that openness, that, that um, sensation that they know you're here. They can feel and know the heart of God for you. I'd like to um, invite the band up if possible. I'm going to read a scripture in Luke 7. Luke 7, 22 and 23, and this is an add-on one, so it's not up on the board. But this is, sorry, Luke 7, 22 and 23. Only then did Jesus answer the question posed by John's disciples. So John the Baptist had sent um, two people to talk to Jesus and send help. And he actually has met with them and then carries on working miracles. And he says, now go back to John and tell, uh, and tell, tell John what you have seen and heard here today. The blind are now seeing. The crippled are now walking. The lepers are now cured. Those who are deaf are now hearing. And those who are dead are now brought back to life. The poor and broken are given hope and salvation. The blessing of heaven comes upon those who never lose their faith in me, no matter what happens. No matter what happens. So my question to you is, who are you? Who are you? And actually, if you're a sports fan, which I'm not, you will often go to a sports game and they'll be shouting at the loser or the bad team, who are you? Who are you? And it's not a positive thing, it's a negative thing. And the reality is, in our head, we often have that same phrase. We have an enemy who wants to pick up on the smallest details of our life that maybe we have had happened to us or that we have done, that we have been forgiven from, we have repented, but the enemy wants to remind you and he'll say, who are you? Who are you? How dare you stand up there and talk to these people when you are who you are, when you're a fallen person? And the world might come and say, who are you to talk to those people? You know, they don't know who you really are. And we all have it. But we have to, have to believe and we have to stand in the firm foundation. Who we are in Christ is far more important. Who we are in Christ is far more superior. We are not here to please man, please, please women, please whoever. We're not here to please each other. We are here to please God. And everything we do, when we do it for him, gives glory to him. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly. That's kind of a lot, isn't it? Superabundantly more than all that we dare ask or think. Infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes and dreams according to his power that is in work within us. 
So who are you? Who are you? Are you standing in the knowledge that you are forgiven? I hope you are. Are you standing in the knowledge that you are loved? I hope you are. That this God wants to give you a hope. He wants to give you his grace. He wants to give you his mercy. He wants to give you his spirit. He wants to pour out his blessings on you. His gifts on you. We're not defined by what society says we are. We're not defined by our marital status. We're not defined by our job, how much we earn, what's happened to us, what we were. We are defined by who we are in Christ. And we come to him and we give everything to him. We say, Father, this is, this is me. This is all I've got. And do you know what God says? That's all I need. That's all I need. That's all I want. You don't have to pretend something you're not. You know when you go to a, to, I don't know, a new place of work or something or a, a social thing and they have icebreakers and they're like, two truths and a lie. You never lie about a boring thing, do you? You know, you don't say, oh, I've got six toes. I haven't. But you lie and you say, I've got a helicopter license. You know, I, you know, I'm all big, I'm all this. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're not. Why don't you tell them the truth? Why don't you tell them the truth? Tell them who you actually are. Let's stand, shall we?